Welcome back to No Ride Around. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Justin and I are here today with our buddy Roger, who we've mentioned in the past and uh, is doing this whole silly Breck Epic thing with us. Say hi, Roger. Hi, Roger. Oh, it's thanks. me. He did, did it. it. He did so, it. So, um, okay. So, <laughs> No Ride Around is, is basically a, a cyclist or... Primarily a mountain biker's synonym for not giving up, not quitting. That's the, that's what no ride around is. So for those of you new to the scene, no ride around means do not quit. And we have just spent an hour and twenty three minutes not quitting on skyping Roger in with quality audio. <laughs> so if we did no training on the bike today, we just did emotional training on not quitting just now in this yeah. moment. Good to have you, Roger. It's, it's nice to be here. I appreciate you having me. Of course, of course. Um, so I've, I've, I've talked about a little bit in the past, um, our relationship, the history of how we got to know each other. Um, I dabbled a little bit into your, your, your background within the bike trade, but um, I'm going to turn it over to you to give, a, give yourself a little bit of a, a more personal intro. Wow. Um, <laughs> Who are you? What do you do? Why do you do it? Well, my name is Roger. I'm, I'm an idiot that decided to start a drum shop in one of the most tumultuous fiscal times of our country. I thought that was a really fun adventure. Mm-hmm. And it's been fantastic. It's been a lifelong dream, and uh, I'm glad I did it. Did you, did you make that decision before or after one of your infamous Cuban coffees? Well, <laughs> it's a valid can you question. Tell us what the, what what you do to create said cup of coffee. I want to know the specific ingredients. I have ingested it. Um, I don't know where I went for the two and a half hours after it went into my body, but I want to know because I think that's important. If you decided to open up a drum shop in Tulsa in a tumultuous time in our economy, well, you did it. I can assure you after this cup of coffee. So what's in it? So Cafe Bustello is probably a time-honored tradition. It is, it is the Cuban version of an espresso with sugar. What makes it special, at least to what I understand, Cubans roast the bean to the point of the most flavor but maintaining the most caffeine, where the Italians and the French, they roast it so far over to the side where they roast all the caffeine out of it. So when people say, oh, I want an extra shot of espresso because they think there's more caffeine, there's actually less or none. Mm-hmm. But Cubans were smart enough to figure it out because, you know, they don't get to do a lot of stuff in their country. So here we are. And it's, it's, it's oh. coffee and sugar. So how, but how much of each? I need to because I'm trying to figure this out. How much of each? Well, it starts with a slurry. So anytime it's you start a with a slurry... The slurry is actually the key. So it's one teaspoon of sugar to a demi-tasse spoon of first percolated Cuban coffee. And then that's whipped up into a slurry so that you're literally making a whipped cream out of it. And then what do you add? The, the coffee. The coffee. Any more sugar? No. You mean it, to tell me there's all the flavor. There it's was the one flavor. teaspoon of sugar. Yeah, but the cup's only two teaspoons. Of coffee. It's a, it's a two to one ratio, coffee to <laughs> no, sugar. No, no. no, 
For one teaspoon of sugar, it's one demi-tasse spoon of first percolated coffee. Right, but then, anyway. It's I, one to I one. Think, I think Justin's just in disbelief because he went to Mars four times in a day. I, I'm not, yeah, I, I'm not going to talk about whether or not the friends I had in college use Adderall outside of its prescribed reasons, but your stuff is on point and could save a lot of money in prescription drug use. Well, there is a, there's a fantastic meme that is running around the internet that shows a picture of a Cuban coffee, and it says, in quotes, Cuban coffee, the reason meth never took off in Miami. <laughs> now they yeah. explain cocaine. Well, it's, cocaine and, took off. Anyway, that was a commodity <laughs> trade. That wasn't even, that was commodities. So you're in Tulsa, you're in a drum shop, and if I look yep. on Strava, all you do is ride in place all winter long. So tell us more about you, Raj. Well, so I got really lucky that I got into cycling following a, a long stint of speed skating. I was dumb enough to think that a $159 10 speed would travel me 30 miles through a treacherous canyon with no helmet or proper equipment to go skate for two hours and ride home in the middle of the night. I thought that was a great idea. Yeah, seems on point. This was in California, yeah. This is in Southern California, and literally I was riding through one of the most dangerous passes in Southern California to bridge two valleys on a $159 Nishiki Century. Yeah, but That's, like in, in money from that time, it was like probably yeah, like five grand, right? Because the wheels were wooden, weren't they? Back when you were riding bikes the first? Because yes. you're like 90, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this year yeah but like um, in today's money like how yeah, much is that really looks good for 90 <laughs> but but yeah within the i mean that's literally what happened and then one day i i decided to go try and get a job in a bike shop and my first bike shop job was 1987 fresh out of high school cool very cool so then fast forward you do the bike shop thing like so many of us uh have done um yep. when i met you um circa 2000 2000 uh, you had come off of working for um specialized tram manitou correct yeah so i got when i moved to new orleans i had left philadelphia i worked oh, that's at, right yep yeah i was at my friend's shop helping him rebuild that um but yeah i mean i worked god i've ridden tram products since it was fluorescent yellow grip shift so 1988, I believe, was my first set of grip shift that the guys literally sold me out of the side of their van. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's where that relationship started. And then as the years progressed, uh, my friends at Answer and the relationship with Manitou grew. And then I got, I got, I had, I was given word <clears throat> of an amazing opportunity with Specialized and I'd already been riding their product for four years. And, uh, my friend calls me up. He's like, yeah, man, there's a job that's coming up that is, it's built for you. So I applied and went through the process and the rigmarole and got my, my first job at Specialized. And it's taken me a long time to get rid of the big red S off of my body. <laughs> um, now, in the midst of all that, though, you did a fair amount of racing. Um, I've, you've shown me some uh, clippings of uh, Team Ape and the mountain bike team and all that. Oh, yeah. Uh, I did lots of mountain bike racing, lots of road racing, lots of criteriums. I got really hooked on velodrome. Um, it just, I think I got, when I quit playing drums and I got into speed skating and then subsequently cycling, it really, 
I guess I could say that it was a fire replacing a fire. Mm-hmm. And it really just kind of became all encompassing. And it's all I dreamed about. There were, I would say there were minor aspirations of trying to go pro at an early age when I really didn't know what that meant. Um, and that's, and you know, we're talking about the time when Stephen Roche and a lot of these big players were still, still, still relevant. Gert Jan Tunis was still way. I mean, just all these big stars, the Greg Lemond Tour de France that changed the face of technology for road racing. Mm-hmm. I mean, all those were keys and I had no idea what being pro meant, but I had my delusions of grandeur. <laughs> I think we all have. I, I have them currently. <laughs> Oh, I know you do. Uh, uh, humble pie tasting mighty nice. So we start working, and and when you say you quit playing drums, you were doing. Uh, it was a you were more like drumline than like upside no, down no, drum kits. No, no, you did no. drumline though too. I correct? did in high school. Yeah, yeah, I did it in high school because it was a way to keep playing more drums and to keep me not from not getting suspended. Huh. Um, but no, I was playing. I was lying about my age and playing in bars and clubs and doing all the things you're not supposed to do on Hollywood Boulevard. I feel like that's kind of what you're supposed to do on Hollywood Boulevard. Uh, (laughs) I don't Uh, want to talk about that. I'm so shell-shocked by this (laughs) docu-series I'm watching. We can't even talk about that right now. I don't want to talk about anything in Hollywood right now. Okay. Okay. Um. So in in the long run, it's it's been a very interesting journey. I mean, to, to be able to say that there was any one an ultimate moment as to why I'm in cycling or why I was playing music or why I got into speed skating. I think it was just fire replaced fire. Sure. Well, and I think, so we've got bike shop out of high school, um, lots of racing through the, through the nineties. Yep. And then some would say your life took a pretty hard left and very few people, I think moved to new Orleans thinking they're going to make their, uh, their millions. So, how did that, like, you know, but, you know, arguably from what you've told me, a pretty successful uh, career in the bike industry in Philly. Yep. Um, and then, bam, New Orleans. Like, what? Well, I make lists of where I was going to move because towards the end of my time in the industry, I got, I started doing just 10 year time at shops, um, <clears throat> rebuilding service apartments and making them profitable and retraining and reorganizing. And um, when I was in Philadelphia for the year, uh, I admittedly, I was very, very fortunate to be at Keswick Cycle. Um, Dave, Interestingly, I think that store's still around. Oh, no, it's bigger than ever. And they've got multiple stores. Yeah. It's a million dollar a year store now. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's slaying. Um, Tommy's still there. And just Jordy actually works there as service manager. So, I mean, it's, it was vegan? one of those things. Huh? He's still vegan? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> as far as I know. But, yeah. you know, it's one of those things where it was coming to the end and David asked me if I was going to stay. And I said, you know, I think I'm just really burned out. And we had discussed salary and bonuses. I said, look, you want to double my salary and buy me a Ducati 996? I'll stay. I mean, I think I'd probably stay working, slinging hamburgers over a grease trap for for that <laughs> well that was and that's where i got it and not to demean people who make hamburgers right i'm demeaning no, no, no. the hell out of you make a hamburger come on man step up but ducati <laughs> 996 i'm yeah. be like yeah. medium or medium rare baby <laughs> yeah you want, you want pickles and onions <laughs> <laughs> just, 
it was really me pushing the button to not stay. You were creating a, a self self fulfilling uh, kind of situation. You Antonio Brown your way out of Philadelphia. Yes. Yeah, cool. But but tough. why so, why New Orleans? Just it was on the list. Were, there were well, there were three cities that were in the running to move to, and New Orleans kept popping up. And I'm I'm a firm believer that there are certain things that happen that are. I guess, designed to happen. And every time I turned around, something about New Orleans kept popping up. New Orleans kept popping up. Oh my God, here's a TV show. Oh my God, you would love it, New Orleans. I just got back from there. You'd be perfect. There's something else would pop up. And it just, it's like, the world just said, it's time for you to move there. And uh, so I, I flew down, I interviewed, I had some, again, delusions of grandeur. And it was interesting because one of them didn't pan out, but another one did. And then it led to the career with Rockstar, which I think changed my time in New Orleans dramatically. Well, I think we're skipping over some some relatively important pieces of the <laughs> the New Orleans story, <laughs> like like us trying to make our millions selling cell phones. Okay, so well there was that. <laughs> there was that. But yeah, so two stories. Uh, I went. I moved to New Orleans to sell clothing for the Rubenstein brothers and to, to sell Sprint mobile devices. I don't know. There was just something about it that I just felt like I wanted to do. And I got there and the Rubenstein brothers piece of the puzzle was very weird and awkward. And I didn't know how I fit in. And I think I was the youngest person working there. And that was unsettling. And uh, I ended up taking over a Sprint dealer for small business i started training sprint corporate employees which i don't know was supposed to happen but then sprint said you should do this on your own so i did and didn't do badly but just in the end it was hard i mean you know uh the way that that whole piece of like that part of the business at that time it was not easy no the payout was hard to figure out and they were they were a little weaselly it could have been, yeah, and then it changed, and I just had to get out of it. Yeah. So in the midst of all this, I'm working at Bicycle Michaels down just outside the French Quarter. Some schmuck in a suit with spiky hair comes in, bragging about his wireless specialized road bike. I'm like, all right, that's cool. Hang on. <laughs> okay, hang on. <laughs> if we're going to tell the story, let's do it right. So – I just had my bike shipped to New Orleans. I needed a tube. Bicycle Michaels was the closest to my house. I roll in. I'm like, hey, can I buy a tube? And this kid behind the counter says, yeah, man, they're 10 bucks. I was like, it's a tube. He's like, yeah, it's 10 bucks here. I'm like, it's an inner tube. They're three bucks. He's like, not here. I went, I guess I'll take a tube then. <laughs> and now, 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 with that, for the next six months, said employee hated my guts because I was an arrogant schmuck. We did not get along. No. We did not get along well. And then, oh. then one day I come in on a Sunday and the store manager, Tim, says, hey, Roger's going to work Sundays with you from now on. Fuck. Wait a second. <laughs> I, I haven't talked for three minutes because I just think – Rockstar energy drinks, Roger in New Orleans. Like my experience in New Orleans is <laughs> happened three times. Uh, the first time I was in college for Mardi Gras, and I don't remember any of it because I was blocked out for a week. Um, 
so it's normal. So I have that experience of, you know, viewing genitalia on a street uh, while drunk, uh, i.e. Mardi Gras. Okay. So if I think of Roger on Rockstar in New Orleans, I'm thinking he's got like a, like a Daniel Sun headband on, borderline butt naked, balling out down the street like a psychobot. Because that's the version of Roger that I would imagine. No, I think Roger was, he was the, you know, you don't, you don't mess with your own stash. Oh, is that what he did? <laughs> yeah. Because that's like, you're a high energy dude. Well, like, you didn't, at the time, you didn't drink at all, right? Like that, that was when you were like not doing any booze or very little. No, yeah, not even like, booze. I mean, just rock stars. I can imagine him on like, uh, like I said, back to the coffee. I've seen him torqued up and he's high energy energy. Anyway, I, like I feel like this people of New Orleans needed him selling Sprint or $10 inner tubes and not drinking Rockstar for a job. Well, okay, so... <laughs> Again, one of those serendipitous moments, New Orleans was not going as planned, and I was getting very disillusioned. And I, I went down to Dallas for three or four days to interview at, an old, at a clothing company that I used to sell for. And it was, it had to have been three o'clock in the morning, and my phone rings, and it's, it's a bartender, and she shall remain nameless. She was dating somebody that's tied to the race team. Much taller woman. Anyway. Oh. Yeah. So she was in San Francisco visiting friends. I get a phone call at 3 o'clock in the morning. She's like, hey, someone's going to call you in a few days about a job that's perfect for you. And I went, can you elaborate, Captain Cryptic? And she says, no. Click. All right. Literally. Yeah, and that was that. And that was that. And two weeks later, some random guy says, hey, I'm CJ with Rockstar. I need you to go to Baton Rouge and go pick up 10 cases of Rockstar and deliver it to the quarter. I'm like, who the fuck is this? Wait. You're fine. Okay. Yeah, we, we have it in our music. Yeah. Uh, some, people okay. don't, some people don't like it, but you know what? People who say the F word, they don't, they don't lie. You tell the truth. It's a truth yeah. detector. So, so you pick so up this yeah. fucking Rockstar. <laughs> yes, literally. Like this guy out of nowhere just called you. He's like, hey, I need you to do me this favor. I'm like, okay. And then for the next three months, I'm kind of busting my balls trying to get this job that I don't even know exists. And then I finally meet the guy. And uh, I'd already gotten back to drinking by this point yeah. um, a lot and found that I'm good at it, which is important when you work for Rockstar Energy Drink. And uh, we're out carousing the streets for two and a half days. And about two weeks later, I get an offer. and. Now I'm working with Rockstar. Perfect. And in the process, the band yep. that Harley and I were in together had already kind of fallen apart and was being rebuilt. And I said, if you give me this opportunity to maybe steal this job, it could change the trajectory of the band. Ta-da. And then our second band was born through the process. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so here we are thing near 20 years later when i met you you were actually despite working at the shop pretty out on bikes in general and now yeah. in the last what three years um aren't you been going at you, it you did because this is where i enter the story late in the yeah. game but you did warn him and, and so <laughs> i heard this this is almost a this is almost a direct quote roger said i don't really know if i can get back into racing bikes because if i get back into racing bikes 
I will go the entire way. I will become obsessed with it. There's not a partial race. Like I'm all the way in. Yeah. And you, my friend, are all the way in at this point. <laughs> like all the way. Riding, riding roller workouts by yourself. I can just imagine you in the back room of the shop. They're just like just sweating away, doing a roller workout, then out, slinging some drums, and then back sweating, rolling some more. Like you're all the way the hell in it. Clubber Lang. Yeah, I love it. Clubber Lang. It's, well, not anymore. I mean, I just recently actually reorganized and cleaned the back room where I get to train. So at least it's a little more presentable. I think there's some young people who listen to this. I hope there's some people. Never the hell's a clubber lang and, and where did you get it on you do you need well, a napkin maybe so rocky three and, and it's interesting <laughs> i use this analogy because it really makes sense so justin has one of the best if, if i if without knowing i would say the best gym in all of denver yeah yeah i would hope so yeah we'll go there so <clears throat> with that in mind you have some of the best equipment on the planet. You've got some of the best opportunities, right? So I, however, am in Tulsa in the back of a drum shop with like what looks to be 20 square feet of place for my rollers, right? There's a scene in Rocky Three when Rocky is training for his first fight with Clubber. And he's in this hotel lobby and it's all glammed out and glitzed out and Clubber Lang's in some basement doing pull-ups on ropes strapped to four by fours in his basement. That's kind of the phenomenon that's going on. Got it. And, and it's nice because as bad as it sounds, how bad do you want it? Yeah. I mean, that's always the question, right? Which goes back to no ride around, because in my opinion, when I, listen, when I think of the term no ride around, that there are no other options. If you look at a trail and there's no other way except to go straight through, there is no ride around it. You go to the right, it's a no body recovery down the side of a hill. You go up, you're just hitting the face. What are you going to do? There's no ride around. You've got to go forward. Yeah, and I think that's important to get you from, uh, from seated to standing. Yep. But what I learned this last weekend is you can be from seated to standing all you want, but to go from standing to racing, that's a whole new step. That's yeah. beyond no ride around, right? So like seated is standing to racing is, yeah, it's not even a question of whether or not I'm going to go that way, but it's how am I going to go that way? And have I thought about how I'm going to go that way? Have I trained for how I'm going to go that way? Now I can actually go that way. That's the difference between I'm a pro rider and I'm just this guy that will just always go, you know? So yep. Justin's all fired up because he did the True Grit. Is it the True Grit Epic? Is that yeah, the, True Grit Epic? I was in the the hundred mile category. Hundred mile category of you know. So you doing talk. doing a yeah. uh, hundred mile race in March is its own thing. Um, here in Colorado, we're actually experiencing a uh, a winter, and unbelievable winter. Yeah, if you like winter sports, you're golden. Um, if you want to try to drive across a mountain range to get to the desert. Um, there was 346 avalanches in Colorado over the weekend Woo. and ah. like four of them went across I-70. Yeah. I-70 was a mess. Holy shnikes. Really? So. I-70, <laughs> like for those of you that have never looked at a map is like the thoroughfare, right? Like it's the way to go West. Yeah. So when it gets avalanche across and it shuts it down, like it all shuts down. So Justin's on his way to Moab. Or to Utah, to St. George. Utah, St. George, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And I get the phone call. Dude, I'm stuck between two avalanches. We need we need D to be playing <laughs> my favorite Alanis Morissette song right now. Because I like, can you cue up ten thousand spoons when all I need is a knife? Right now, I want to enjoy it as I'm because that's where. All right, so I'm an avid skier. Uh, I, I'm avid. I got maybe I got twenty five. Th- I have thirty days, I think, under my belt skiing this year. Uh, it's my cross training. And so I passed through Eisenhower Tunnel on Thursday towards this bike race, and the truck stopped, you know, like mountain bikes in the back, rooftop tent, awning, camping gear. I'm loaded up, cooler full of food. Uh, I get through Eisenhower Tunnel, and I know Vail Pass is closed because of an avalanche, but Colorado 91, which is a ride around, you, you can actually do a ride around here, is open. I get to that junction, avalanche on 91, it's closed as well. So I get turned around. So I turn around, and now Eisenhower Tunnel has closed behind me for Avalanche. So I'm stuck between Copper Mountain Ski Resort and basically Keystone Ski Resort in some of the best snow the state of Colorado has ever seen. And I have a fucking mountain bike and camping gear. <laughs> no skis. No snow equipment. None at all. And even if I were to procure equipment, right, on a credit card and return it, like the REI rental, if I were to do that, I didn't even have the clothes that would have made that possible for me. I was stuck in an Alanis Morissette song, which required a two and a half hour ride around in a different direction. It was a hot mess. Harley got the phone call. <laughs> I, I did get the phone call. And, then, <laughs> and it occurred to me, so Justin calls me while I was at work, and we chat for a second, and, and he's like, uh, I, I got to go, click. And then I didn't hear from him for a really long time, and I was like, wait a minute, do I, should I... Check and make sure he's still alive. <laughs> and we lost Roger. Yeah. <laughs> Where'd you go? <laughs> oh, we're just closing up the shop. I oh. apologize. No, you're fine. Um, Anyhow, my whole point is, like, there, there's something to be said for being committed, and there's something to be said for staying the course. But that, when you start talking about the level of racing that you find yourself in when you're years into the sport, or for yourself three years back into a sport where you were already really active, right? You came back into the sport. I remember you telling me uh, over the phone not too long ago, you were getting back into crit racing and you're like, this is bullshit. Cause like I was a cat such and such. And now I got to start the cat fives. I got to race all these cat fives guys. I got to beat all their asses and try to get right. Like, so you're all the way in it and it's not good enough at this point to pump up your tires in a $10 tube and go race. You're beyond just not riding around. You're beyond that. It's now this training model that says, what are the upper limits and how can I become a different person to hit some new goals? Is that fair? Oh, that's absolutely fair. Well, and I think you touched on a very important point of there were moments in in 2018 where I underperformed and that was out of my own frustration within the context of I got in my own head and said, well, why am I not there now? Why am I, why is it not going the way it used to? Like, and I just beat myself up about it. And I literally, like, there's a point in, during Tulsa Tough, I came around the last corner. I just sat up. I literally sat up, put my hands on my hips and rode the last, last way through the finish line. Didn't care. So pissed off. Weren't you, but I mean. That was me. Well, but weren't you also experiencing like a lingering illness going into Tulsa Tough? And yeah, I mean, I did. I mean, ten days before, I had like a complete physical and mental breakdown, 
I mean, I'm not scared to admit it. It was a mess. Yeah. Well, when you were sick for a couple of weeks going into it, I thought. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was, but not terribly. But the literally the Wednesday before the set, the 10 days prior to Tulsa Tough, uh, the Tuesday I went out for a ride. And what what two mile distance normally takes me about, you know, eight or nine minutes. Took almost 20. And I said, something's really wrong. And I went home and that took forever. And then crawling up my stairs, I was literally crawling up my stairs. I said, this isn't good. Um, and then I got home that night and uh, it literally was a total shit show. Yeah. And that was, was 10 days out from your pinnacle event, right? Yeah. I mean, but right. that's, that's training, right? Like you hear about this pro riders all the time where they're right on the edge at all times, you know, like you're on the edge of, pushing your body so hard that you wiggle just a little bit and you fall off that cliff. Like you're on the edge of sickness, on the edge of breakdown, like at all times when you're in the moment. And you're, Tulsa Tough is a beast of a series of racing over a period of days. And yeah. You're on the line, you know? It was just, I think it was also a combination of things, you know, within the context of everything that I was doing for the store and my person and just, it kind of all, it took its toll, admittedly. And you don't realize how much all of those factors play into your head until you're, you're literally laying in the fetal position, throwing up, crying, you're sweating. You can't control anything that's happening. You have no idea what, like you're just, it was a total loss. Yeah. And it wasn't until that Saturday. So four days later, I was able to at least get on the bike and pedal it. Hmm. Yeah. It's different now, man. I mean, you, racing now and you know how, how old are you roger this year i get to turn 51 Woo! right and so like we're 30s 40s late 30s 40s 50s you can't just wake up and think about riding a bike you gotta wake up and think about a hundred other things before the bike becomes an option an opportunity an escape and you're competing against people who arguably have no other plan but the bike yep right like this is the mission is i wake up eat sleep drink breathe bike and we're doing it as this hobby, passion, wreck turned beyond wreck, trying to push the envelope. It is a lot. And so I don't think sitting up at the end of a race isn't a failure. It is just a reality. And I was talking with somebody who's injured in our gym, and, and she's got a, an injury that sucks. It's going to take a long time to recover from. And as she's sitting here talking about her injury, I'm like, yeah, you want to see that girl over there? She's like, yeah. And I go, well, did you know that – she raises funds now for the children's hospital because when she was a young girl, she had leukemia and lived in the hospital for a period of years. And she got through that. And now as an adult woman raises money for this hospital and she's in here working out four days a week. And this member who's injured goes, man, that's perspective. I said, sure, it's perspective, but each of our own realities is our reality. So if like your reality is opening up this drum shop business, uh, taking care of my personal life and trying to train that's that's your reality. It's just as honest and and, and what and play two hundred gigs a year. See, I mean, that's it's there's something to be said about accepting that and then saying, okay, now that I've accepted, where are the cracks and where can I wiggle? And, and what it looks like, at least on Strava and all the data I see from you, is that you're filling in those cracks with your training program, similar to what Harley's got going on with Taruki. Well, and I have to point this out because you've pointed, you've mentioned like how how I'll get it. Whenever, right? Like yeah. if it's seven o'clock at night, 
I called Roger at 11 o'clock at night expecting either no answer yeah, or voicemail. Yeah. <laughs> you call me at 11, never eating an answer. <laughs> and, uh, you know, hey, Roger, what are you doing? Oh, I'm just finishing up my workout. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> now, that's midnight where he is. Yeah. I, I mean, like we said, Cafe Bustello yeah. is, is the drink. <laughs> and as long as I've known Roger, he's, he's holding up a, a Cafe Bustello <laughs> mug. Uh, as long as I've known Roger, he's never really been one with sleep. Being, what, four hours a night? Four hours a night? Yeah, five sometimes. Let me go figure. He started with a story about a, co- a coffee slurry. We moved into a professional job with Rockstar. And now we're <laughs> talking about midnight training sessions. Yeah. Um, so um, as this is kind of, uh, you know, Breck Epic training check-in number two, um, I want to hear about the True Grid Epic. I want to hear what that was like. Yeah, it was. I a- mean, all the way from... You know, you admit by your own admission, you and Case were super focused on the, the Grand Traverse ski race. So biking wasn't really super high priority for you right now. Yeah. No, so I, I'm, I'm working on this model quite different than what you guys are doing. You guys are putting in rides nearly every day. Um, you, I think you have like maybe a rest day off the bike a week. Um, but you guys are almost on the bike every day. Conversely, because I'm trying to train for this backcountry ski race in conjunction with training for bike racing, I've been treating uphill skiing or skinning i've been treating that like my uh below threshold training is what i've been focusing on that for so skiing's been like below threshold training and then two times a week i get on the indoor bike and i hammer and that's really been and then uh, you know then in gym training power works and strength work that's the extent of it and i walk away from this true grit epic really conflicted about whether or not that model worked it was i was I think I mentioned this the first episode we did, or maybe even just the first training episode we did, where I asked you point blank about your training, and you're like, I could hop off the couch right now and go do a 100-mile race. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, but how are you going to do? So, okay, so a couple of takeaways positively with the training. So True Grip Epic was out in St. George, Utah. It's They have a beautiful trail network out there right out of town. I mean, everyone that lives there... No one drives to the trailhead. It's that close to town. And it's an awesome series of trails. So this race put together, uh, it's a 100 miler. Uh, almost every single bit of it was on single track. Um, and the single track, just for, to put it into perspective, is very much like Fruta. So rocky, uh, shelf rock, slick rock, and then dirt, some washes. So, you know, engaging trail where you have to, you have to be on it all the time. So... I'm thinking I'm ready for this. I've done the training for it. And I'll tell you this. I left the race. I never cramped. Not once. Even though I haven't done a bike ride over an hour in months. I mean, we did, we did, uh, we did the old man winter. Old man winter. That was it. I haven't been on a bicycle outside in two months. And so I walked away from the race. I never cramped, which I typically cramp towards the end of a hundred mile race. I mean, it's hundred miles. So I thought that was a takeaway. I'm like, oh, the training worked. I also didn't cramp by myself, weigh the shit back in the race where I didn't want to be. So when the race started, my plan was to be in a top five finish. And I looked around the start line and 
what I expected to see was typical of Colorado races. A mixed bag of, man, those guys look like pros. These guys look really fast. These guys are just here for a good time. These guys are here for the beer afterwards. And <laughs> then I can typically get There's towards always the, the beer front, guys, right? Like, right? <laughs> yeah, best part of the ride is the beer. I'm like, yeah. actually, I wanted to upload my Strava first before I drink your coffee. So <laughs> that's what I figured was going to happen. And I looked at the start line, you guys. I think every rider was a pro rider. I mean, teams kitted out. They're like team captains that aren't racing, but they're there taking photos of them. Like everyone's to the nines. You know, you do the whole like gear check and you look around and check everybody out, right? Like I know, Roger, you love your whole like Rocky Three basement training, but then you show up at the start line and you see everyone else is like tits out on point, $20,000 bike, and you're like automatically like, I'm the smallest man alive, right? <laughs> and so I get there and they're like, and then I realize it's March 9th, 100 mile bike race. Everyone racing is serious because the not serious people don't show up to this event no, on they, March 9th. They do June, July, or August races. Correct. So I take Harley's, key, one of Harley's key phrases. He's got many of them, right? No such thing as, Bad weather, just bad gear. That's like a Harleyism. Another one, uh, wreckers or checkers. That's one of Harleys. Checkers or wreckers. Checkers or wreckers, right? <laughs> so I, I pull out the spark energy drink I had in the back of my jersey, and I slurp it all the way down so that my heart rate just goes up to nuclear. And I said, I'm going to hang on to these super pros, and I'm going to kick their asses. And that lasted for about an hour. And for an hour, I rode with this top, like we were... I've never ridden a wash, like a rocky, sandy wash, 16 and a half miles an hour holding yeah, the wash. Hammering. Hammering. My heart rate's at like 87%, just pinned out, and I'm like, do whatever. Like, checkers are wreckers. I'm holding on to these dudes, right? And then as the race gets past the first hour, I look, and everyone's bikes, keep, they like keep going faster, and my bike stopped going <laughs> faster. And I looked down, and I like Flintstone kicked like a skateboard the side of my bike, why are you not, like, is the battery dead? Like, why is this, why is my bike not going as fast as their bikes? And that was the moment that I was like, I, my confidence that I got from last year's successes carried through the off season. And I started with the same bravado and confidence. I can do anything. Harley and I were talking on the way here. Um, I, if I see an event that's cool, I'm like, yeah, I'll do it. Uh, and that's the bravado I brought to the start line. And I very quickly realized that my reality uh, was very different than my assumed reality when I came into the event. And with that said, I knew that I stopped racing. Uh, Roger, you said you sat up at, towards the end of Tulsa Tough. I distinctly know the moment that I quit racing on Saturday. I had just finished up the first part of the Zen Loop. Awesome loop. Go to St. George, ride the Zen Loop. I'd finished up the climb. I was starting into the descent, and I got off the bike. And I urinated on a bush. And for those of you that know me, <laughs> if you've listened Are you to serious? there, yes, you stopped and peed. I stopped and peed. Get the <laughs> you know me. So Come on. I, I stopped and peed for anybody that's starting on this particular episode and hasn't listened to, we've covered it now three times. Yeah. <laughs> Justin doesn't stop to pee in bike races. So not when I'm, but apparently on bike rides, I do. Yeah. I stopped to pee. And I peed off of the bike three more times on the day. Yeah. And that is like, 
that's soul crushing to admit to. Um, not for nothing, Daryl hooked me up with some badass new Jiro shoes. So I he also I, didn't want to pee in those. Yeah, I mean they always get funky. <laughs> but I I knew that I wasn't competitive at the level I wanted to be competitive, and I I got off the bike to pee, and I and I had done that like I said a few more times. And as a matter of fact, in full honesty, after the first lap, uh, the first lap was was a little over forty miles. And I, I, I didn't know how I was going to do a second lap. It was a little bit longer on the second lap. Too. I'm like, I don't know how I'm, I'm going to go back into this. But I had just passed a guy, and I was a little mojoed up. And I'm like, all right, and if I get to the Zen Loop, I got another shot of this energy stuff there. So I get there. And so I stayed in it. Um, and even as I stayed in it, I, I just felt that the, the gusto, like I like, to, I like to take souls and eat, eat people's young when I race. And I had none of that fire. And when I got through to the Zen loop the second time, I looked at the energy drink. I'm like, if I drink this, I'm going to keep going because then I can't go get an oat milk latte and just quit. And I looked down at my jersey that said no ride around, which we covered as a synonym for don't quit on anything. And I've got a whole community of friends, both at E3 Fitness and at Base Camp and all of our friends, like to come back and say, guys, I preach all the time about how you just got to grit up. And I quit a race called True Grit. I couldn't do it. So I stayed in the race, but not even for myself. I stayed in it for what we try to represent. And I stayed in it for the energy we try to bring to the community around us. But man, I was in my feelings. I want to be a pro designated writer. Yeah, well, son, you're a long ways away from Kansas. So I guess I'll, I'll, I'll just ask just a real quick uh, two questions. One do you still believe in the modality you've had in your training up to this point, but maybe some bad execution and how is it going to change from today rolling forward with the goals that you have in mind? Totally. So I, I that was a lot. I mean, I had an, I had a 10 and a half hour drive home on Sunday that I got to answer those questions a lot and I answered them different ways depending on what time of the day it was. <laughs> And <laughs> how fresh the wound felt. Yeah. And so, and, he, and here's what, so I finished the race. I, on the second lap, I got to pass a lot of the 50 miler people that started later. And each time I passed somebody, I had a little bit more oomph. And then I caught back up to some of the guys that had passed me in the 100 mile. And it was on tech sections. And I just sent like that. I'll tell you, not for nothing, the Orbea Oweth, that I pronounced that right. You did? Nailed uh, it. Nailed knocked it. it out of the park. The Orbea Oweth, I'll tell you this. For only a hundred and I have the hundred and twenty yep. version. Mm-hmm. I pointed black diamond trail, like steep drop, like four foot drops, rocky ridge lines, like gnarly trail. And that bike, it's it's actually, truth be told, can I say too stiff with how delicate my forearms and hands out of bikes oh, conditioning just how you are? Felt. Yeah. That bike held a line. I was so I was able to point it and, and show off a little bit. And hammer past people. So I, I got a little bit of pop at the end of the race. Incidentally, the wheels are now square. Yeah, they're... Um, <laughs> <laughs> insert, please, Crank Brothers, now that you're sponsoring the team, we can't wait for the new wheels to come because the alloy wheels that Harley gave me are completely done. But... <laughs> uh, not my wheels. <laughs> Rental. So... Uh, <laughs> So when I finished, I felt pretty good about myself, but you're right. Like my goals are to do so well in this race season that I can apply to try to get a pro classification with USAC by the end of the season. Like I want to win some stuff, right? Series wins. Like I want to go for the big. To get a goal, you got to be a different person. I'm not that person yet. 
my training model worked because I was able to do a hundred mile race, having not ridden a bike outside in two months. Right. Zero training on the mountain bike, zero endurance rides, no experience of putting it out there. So the training works. That said, there is no training substitution for being in the saddle for three, four, five, six, seven. There's not a stationary bike that can simulate the vibrations in the rattle and the punches needed and the out of saddle efforts and the continued grind that comes when you're alone in the desert and it's beaten down on you and you have no one to judge your pace off of and you're totally in yourself. And last year I was successful because I rode a century a week and I just put myself into it along with other rides and I know what I need to do. And it is not be afraid of our weather and it's to get on the bike. You need 80 and 100 mile rides as a continuous ride, you need to be on the bike for 30 miles, 25 miles, 50 miles, all of these distances. There is no training model that substitutes getting out there and doing it. And the guys that all kicked my ass from Southern California, New Mexico, Utah, they're out there doing it. So the model works. I need to add to it. The model works if, a, if the goal set is different. Totally. Right? I need to add. I'm not giving up. I wanted to quit on the goals. I automatically started going like, well, I'm just going to maybe not do that. <laughs> maybe not do this series. Like, I don't know about the podium. It's an open field against guys that are pros. Uh, but who the hell would I be if I just had one race get, get in my feelings? Like, not for nothing. Raise your hand if you did a 100-mile race this year. I right. can put my hand up. Right. It's a starting point. Yeah. Go to work. I did the power workout in the gym today. <laughs> yeah. I did not let sore legs interfere with me. There you go. And I just got mad at it, and I threw sandbags. So, Roger, what are you looking at over there? Well, it's funny that you, you – so <clears throat> credit where credit is due. I've, it's been rare that I've met an athlete like Justin. It's very rare. One that just goes out, tackles every challenge, and either excels at it or does really, really well. Like, that's a rarity. Yeah, I mean, okay, but, yeah, just rewind just a quick second. What was your finish time? For eight forty-one, which is, I mean, I challenge anybody listening to go put up a hundred-mile mountain bike race in eight forty-one in in, in the dead of winter. Like, yeah, I mean, so I mean, sure, you know, I, I, there's well, there's merit, right? Right. So with that, you know, Justin, you make mention of. Here, you made you made a great comment of bike doers, which I thought was a great, great line. Then there's bike riders, bike racers, and then there's pros. Would that be a fair totally. assessment? Yeah. Okay. So in going from a bike racer to a pro, one of my favorite riders is Eddie Merckx. He will always be one of my favorites. And there was an article written a few months ago, maybe last year, maybe years before that, where it talks about what he was doing pre-1969 for the Tour de France. And when you made the comment about there's no replacement for time in the saddle, this is the week leading up to the first stage of the Tour de France. This is Eddie Merck's training. He raced the Belgium National Championships on a Sunday, which was 264K. On Monday, he did two races. One was a 110-kilometer criterium and then an evening track race. 
on Tuesday, he raced, uh, my eyesight sucks. He did another 35 kilometer race. Wednesday, training with his team, 180 kilometers. Thursday, did his own training of 270 kilometers. Friday, he did 50 kilometers. And then Saturday morning, he did a fast 40 kilometers. Afternoon was an easy 40K before the prologue of the Tour de France in 1969. So he rides about 900 kilometers-ish. I did quick math, which is like 410 miles, which was not for nothing, Harley's entire January goal. That was my whole January. (laughs) (laughs) In the six days leading up to the Tour. He raced and he rode two rides before he did the prologue time trial on that Sunday. So somebody that, needs to tell Eddie what the fuck a taper week is. <laughs> so it, <laughs> well, and it's so it's funny you put it that way. So I, what I realized is the difference between I'm, I'm a fast racer, and, and I'm not a pro. I have aspirations of just getting close to feeling like I could be. The the pros don't think about those legs going up and down. Like there wasn't one pro in that field, from my best estimation, that was thinking the way I was thinking on that second lap of. Man, I just got to keep turning the pedals. They just, they took that out. And as a matter of fact, there's a long stretch on the, on the True Grit. It's got a bunch of cool stuff. And then it's got this amazing, almost BMX style downhill specific course, which was super cool. And if you're an idiot like me, who actually likes to ride bikes, not just race them, you spent the whole first lap on that downhill course, like doing tabletops and Xing up the front wheel, like sending it, throwing the rear wheel. Like I was at a pace line too, and these guys behind me were like kind of hollering at me, and I thought they were just giving me credit. No, now I realize no, they, they were, were pissed because yeah. you might crash them. Yeah, I'm sitting here like vital MTB shotting it, you know, over everything. And uh, the second time around, I had to get myself to that headspace because then you climb out of there, and it's a it, it's a good solid 30 minute climb. Yeah. And I said, these guys aren't thinking about their legs. I'm not thinking about my legs anymore. And I know I'm not going to quit because even at this point, I'm too far away from the car to quit. So stop thinking about the legs. And I never did. And like I said, legs never cramp. They get to keep moving. Eddie Merckx, he's not thinking about legs. And that is the difference. One of many, but that is a huge difference. There's always that statement. If you want to get faster on your bike, you ride your bike. That's, That's it. With today's technology and with today's training models and with all the things that we have access to and the knowledge that we have, I mean, you figure 40 years ago, 30 years ago, 20 years ago, we didn't know as much as we know now about training the human form. And I still speculate that we're still learning and will continue to learn for the next several hundred years. Yeah, you're right. I mean, time and saddle was because that's the only measurement they had. Exactly. That's all they had. Now, You're able to do skinning, skiing, cross country, in gym workouts. You're able to do, you can go out and do sculling. You can go out and do all kinds of stuff. Came out with the sculling. (laughs) I love it. You you can do all these different, all these different exercises as ways to offset the training and A, not be bored, but B, develop those other muscles that aren't getting used. That was never a consideration. And, and Harley and I talked about that in an earlier episode, the idea of doing cross-training, even if it's not cycling-specific, to make the stronger body. And as a fitness professional, I'll tell you, you should always do that, okay? As a guy who just got his ass kicked by a bunch of pros in a bike race, I actually was going to do strength upper today in the gym, and I went to go do strength upper. I even started on TRX rows and push-ups and stuff to get rolling, 
And I looked at the dumbbells and I was like, wow, you can bench press those and not get any better on your bike. Or you can go over here and do a bunch of dumbbell snatches and kettlebell swings and build your backside. So I went and did that. So So while (laughs) while there is a lot of intelligence here, there's also the idea of, you know, credit where credit's due. These guys crushed this weekend. And I'm not going to say I'm in awe of them because I'm going to hunt them down and I'm going to fillet them. Hey, Sam, new buddy at Big Bear Bikes. I'm going to beat your ass. But... I'm going to do it now. And, and now the focus training is coming in. So, <laughs> so <laughs> for as long as, dude, your Strava is terrible. My Strava? Yeah. Yeah. That, I don't record you, indoor rides because I actually race. I ride oh bikes. my God. All right. Um, where are your workouts? <laughs> so where are your activities? There they are. So uh, a week ago, uh, I, I'm settling in to do this workout that Taruki gives me. And Justin comes and hops on a bike for 20 minutes and we bullshit while I'm warming up. And he's like, all right, I'm going to go lift. And we joked for five minutes about how doing bench presses and curls didn't help. And he titled his workout pre-lift spin. If nothing else, I'll be the most swole Saturday morning at the true get 100 start line. (laughs) Now I got to go shave my legs. (laughs) True story. (laughs) I was the most, and that's, okay, I understand it's not saying a whole lot, but I was the most jacked dude at the start line. Like, <laughs> skeletal muscle mass, I beat all of them, period. Now, I beat them all. And when it comes to shaving the legs, funny addendum here, uh, this race was marred with signs that said, this isn't going to probably be your best effort. Um, we were working some bike fit stuff to get the bike just quite right, and we were kind of bat- battling that just a little bit. Um, I, I... I had staff coverage at the gym so I could get out there. I, I had to drive out there. So there's a lot of these hurdles. And uh, my massage therapist, well, I was talking to her about it, and she goes, man, it seems like a lot of signs, a lot of hurdles. You know, maybe, maybe you shouldn't do this. And I was like, well, hippie, um, thanks for saying that because I, I see those as opportunities to show that I can persevere. So I'm going to continue on this race. And the night before I left, Wednesday night, I got my electric shaver out to shave the old legs. You know, got to get these things buzzed down, race ready. And the electric razor was dead. Ah, it needs to charge. So I plug it in for 30 minutes, thinking to get enough of a charge to come back. Still dead. This son of a bitch is broken. And now it's like after 8 p.m., which for me, mine's will be midnight for Roger. It's after 8 p.m. And I have no razor. So I did the only thing that a logical racer could do. And I drove to Safeway. And I like I've, how there is literally one choice. There's one... Please keep your pants on. There's one choice right here. I'm going to take my pants off <laughs> to show you exactly what happens. There's one choice, and it's you go by. Woo, look at that sunburn. You go by Nair. That's what you do. You and go. I fucking Nair'd my legs. Oh. oh, yeah. Full Nair, bro. All the way up to the top of the thigh. Oof. This stuff is amazing because <laughs> once you let it get to the burning phase, like when oh, it fully no. is burning. Then you just take a wet washcloth and it wipes all the hair, probably several layers of skin, but wipes all of the hair clean off your body in one fell swoop. It took the leg shaving adventure of pre-race setup and it made it four and a half minutes. Four and a half minutes of chemical burn and I had no, la- no hair on my legs. It was fantastic. Four and a half minutes of chemical bor- burn for a lifetime of glory. Yes. Yeah. 16th place because of these narrow legs. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wow. Yeah. All right. So, Roger. (laughs) I don't know. I don't don't know how to follow that. Well, I, I, you know, um, 
it's no secret what Justin's doing for his training. And I've talked about it to literally anybody that would listen. So I'm, I'm not going to talk much about me, but, um, I want to know how you're feeling. You've got, so you've committed to this silly Breck Epic thing with all of us. Um, wait a minute. Let's be fair. I'm swashbuckled. Oh God. With that again. Roger uses terms that no one under like literally old, nobody. Man, I was swashbuckled all day to doing this here race. And tell you what, I had no this idea. This Harley second time. I, I I didn't. I I think it's fair that this time I set out with the intention of coercing you. Okay, uh, coerc coercion would be better. Yeah. No. I mean, I definitely was just like, you know, hey, let's do this race, and you're like, all right. I mean, maybe. And then, no, but check out this belt buckle. Oh, okay. Yep. Um, so you, you want, you're, you're doing Breck Epic with us, yep. but you also have a score to settle with Tulsa Tough. So yep. those are two super different events. First of all, one's road, one's mountain. Yep. Um, what are you doing? Two events at Tulsa Tough this year? Yeah, I did two last year. I'll do, I'll do the same two this year. But those Today. are an hour? No, no, no. They're only 40 minutes. Okay. That's so less than an hour. So yeah, yeah. two super, super, super different modalities. Um, one's six, you know, six days, multiple hours a day. Yes. And one is two days, less than an hour. Yep. So how do, how do you and Taruki, like, <laughs> what do you do with that? Well, I think in the beginning, when I'd mentioned to Taruki that I wanted to do the Breck Epic, he was like, yeah, we can pull that one off. I said, Maybe I want to fit in Tulsa Tough. He's like, yeah, I don't think you're going to do both. <laughs> now, I will give I will give that man some serious credit. He he has the ability to look at the data from a different perspective that I don't have because I'm too stupid to know that I can't do it. But he grounds it into reality, and he flat out says, "He's like, you're going to have to pick one or the other." I said, "Well, I'm, I'm going to do the Breck Epic." That's going to be a thing. And I keep, as it were, leading the witness. Like, so how do we fit Tulsa Tough in here? He's like, we don't. He just shakes his head. We don't. So in my head, I'm thinking, I do, and this is just me being retarded. We do Can't all this prep work. We do all this, yeah, we do all the great endurance work. Then we start working up to getting me fast. We, we peak for Tulsa Tough, fall off. And then we're back into endurance mode. And then we peak during Breck Epic. There's two months apart. I've got time. I believe it's doable. What's, you know, what's Taruki's take on it? Like, I mean, as the guy who is writing your workouts, though. He hasn't actually stated one way or the other. Got it. I, I think he's got me focused on Breck Epic. Like, we've been doing a lot of uh, threshold training, a lot of endurance training, a lot of long times in the saddle, long efforts. Not a uh, lot of speed. No, not a lot of speed, but he does have me at, low, at a much lower power band, which is awkward because I find myself getting restless. Mm -hmm. And I've expressed this to him a few times. And maybe it's because I've been indoors for so long. Maybe I'm just tired of being in the back room. Maybe I'm, I'm just chomping at the bit. Um, Justin, if I remember, you made mention of just, you've got to get outside. Like you've got to be outside in the dirt. Yeah, like, I, yeah. The, I, my heart is my heart 
as much as I want my goals, my heart isn't into indoor training enough to get me over the hump. Got to go outside. And, and for me, I'm doing, I look at the indoor stuff as not so much a rite of passage, but an, a necessary evil. Mm-hmm. Since our weather is inconsistent and I'm a big wuss, once it gets below 30, you know, I've got to do what I have to do to get those miles in. So I think, you know, unbeknownst to me, I didn't realize that I had a 500 mile month in January. You know, I didn't know it. I wasn't paying attention to the overall. But he's got me stacking in lots of miles. I'm like, I'm doing uh, some of my rides are 20 minute efforts, but right now we're still only at 240, 230 uh, watts. Yeah, yeah, 240 watts. Where normally we'll be doing those at 280 and into the 300s. So I think there's a long game that he's playing right now. Um, we just went through and refit my road bike a little bit because I was getting a little bit of knee pain because I'm still adjusting to this giant. And then I swapped saddles. Um, but I think with that, he's going to start really trying to snap my body in half. Much like you experienced early on, Harley, where he was just like really putting the screws to you. Yeah, I think in, you know, it sucks. You know, I, I, I'm not going to turn my nose up at the work I got done in January. Um, but, and I, I had mentioned this a couple of times, but at the end of the day, deferred to the professional, um, we were working with a corrupt data set. Yeah. And I I kept, I kind of kept trying to like, he was basing all of my, my workouts off of this, this effort that I did on the bike that I don't know what kind of crack I took that day, but I mean, 1500 watt sprints in the, in the workout. And, you know, feeling like a two out of 10 was 220 watts, no problem. Um, and leave it to the, the circumstance to, for that to be the one workout that, that Taruki looked at to establish all of my, my, you know, my FTP and my, you know, all my threshold numbers. Yep. Um, and I kind of had a suspicion, but I was also kind of in this mindset of, Hell yeah. Well, that a little bit, a little bit, but also just, um, also, Hey, look, if you could do it once it's in there, right? Like workouts are supposed to be hard. Um, Mm -hmm. but I, I found myself kind of on this like negative trend of, um, the analogy I used with you and a lot of other people, including Taruki was, you know, if I'm at E3 and, Justin hands me a set of weights to do, you know, a kettlebell snatch. He's going to hand me enough weight that it's hard for me to do the full set, but I'll be able to, like, do the set, right? Like, I'll go to failure, but if it's 10 reps, I'll do all 10 reps. And I was feeling like the workouts were, I felt like I was losing fitness in the sense that, you know, we would have, uh, you know, what was one of the workouts he had? It was like a, I think it was just over on, no, it wasn't the over the under overs or whatever they are. It was like a, like a momentum interval and mm-hmm. the wattage range, you know, it was like, you know, do this wattage for five minutes with this rest. And I'd get two sets into a five set workout yep. and, you know, holding 240 Watts for five minutes on the third rep was a joke. Never mind the fourth set, the fifth set. So um, we did an in-body. Um, 
collected some data there, did a food journal, collected some data there, and uh, found some opportunities to optimize. Yeah, and you know it's magic, man. You give the body the right fuel, and it fucking does shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and what's I think what's you know, and you referenced you know three decades ago racing without that data. It can be frustrating when you can't pinpoint. Well, why why didn't this work right? Yeah. You know and that can be really frustrating, but there's such a relief when you find out what it is, and it when it works, work. right? Yeah. Like you know, so we we did the in body, and the numbers were not like I've had enough body metric scans to not like want to go sit in a dark room when I get a bad one. <laughs> but at the same time, it's just like holy shit, man! Like I've been busting my ass for it was like six week mark ish, right? And I think we were both probably a little surprised. Yeah. No. Well, fortunately, I've been in the situation quite a bit with yeah. with other athletes where you look at it and you go, "That is not reflective of your effort." Right. So unequivocally, there, I know that there is a reason. And so for me, it was like, "Ooh, I know there's a reason. We just got to figure out what the reason is." Yeah. And luckily, it was an easy road. I mean, we know I'm getting workouts in. But what's, what's messed up? And I, I asked a few episodes ago, like, what happens when you do everything right? Turns out I was doing things, like, pretty right. But was, like, missing one really big component, which was protein. Well, oh, wow. think about how small 10 millimeters is. Right. Like, just make 10 millimeters with your hand, right? Like, and then a 10 millimeter misfit on a bike is yeah. massive. And then, can be ruinous on wattage lost, right. on the way your body responds and feels. and all, Like, Roger, you're moving something because your knee's a little tweaky. I guarantee that was a shift of such a small amount. Actually, shockingly, it was dramatic. We moved my saddle forward a full centimeter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't think Roger's joking. I no. think he was being serious. Mm-hmm. No, Sorry. I mean, it, it, literally, no, 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 but with that, even a centimeter, when you look at the grand scheme of a bunch of measurements, a centimeter to the normal person shouldn't be that much. Yeah, it's, it's not even the width of my finger. But you're right, in cycling measurements and in bio, biomechanics, it's dramatic. Dramatic. That's yeah, huge. Because it's just like, you know, they, they, we've mapped, years, uh, some years ago now, we've mapped the full human genome. Like, we can map your whole code, right? And so, since we've been able to map the code, people are trying to find, like, well, what are the linchpins, right? What is... There's a great book out by uh, David Epstein, I believe, called The Sports Gene. It's unbelievable. And trying to figure out what is the one gene that lets a good athlete be different than Olympia? Like, what, what's the Olympic gene? And what they found is that there is no one gene because the second you twist something, it's a cascade effect. And because I tweaked this one thing, these interactions in the multiples of dozens are different because of this little tweak. So a little tweak to a diet changes the way the body responds, changes the body's expectations in the way the body responds when it gets certain macronutrients in the processes that are started and stopped or whatever. All of that, it's a huge, like just nest. It's like the underside of, of, a, of a dashboard in a car. Yeah. It's just a nest of things. Yeah. Well, and, and not for nothing, I'm super happy it was an easy find. Like I'd be really disappointed if it was all right. We did that, your dude. Your diet's perfect. Yeah. Like I'd have been like that would have been something to worry about. But 
yeah, just tweaking that one little like, dude, you're getting half the protein you need. You, you big idiot. Like, eat more chicken. <laughs> like, <laughs> kinda. Like, eat a can of tuna in the morning. You're done for half the day. <laughs> like, <laughs> literally, you're you're set. So, um, since since we made all those adjustments, I haven't felt like my uh, my my fitness has been on like a an inverse curve to the effort. So, yeah. super happy with that. And Roger, we missed the boat. We were going to do – so how much training are you doing for your fitness that's not on the bicycle? Uh, I do – the most that I do is I do 40 minutes of core workout on the ground. Cool. Just literally the heaviest thing I pick up is a five-pound dumbbell when I'm doing um, – when I do a push-up. Is it pink? Huh? Is it pink? It is now. You'll have to bring the next time we Skype you in for an episode. You have to bring a five pound because actually Harley trains at E3. He's never seen one. So no. it'll be, uh, no. we'll want him to see one. No. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it, 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 it's funny because I don't necessarily even like doing that, but I realized honestly, the things that I learned in 2017 within the Rattler, within Silver Rush, within Leadville, and much like in speed skating, if you don't do some very integrated core workouts, your back doesn't have the strength to survive. Yeah, that's, I, I got a guy in the gym right now. He's doing, I did this race last year. It's the A-Basin Enduro, which is 10 hours of skiing moguls. It's, and that's the one that's just a, as many as you can do. Yeah, it's as many laps of, a, of mogul runs, 20 different mogul runs at A-Basin that you can do in 10 hours. And I did it last year with a, one of our other members of the gym, he's a complete ski nut. The guy's a beast, like 70 days of skiing a year. Bart, Bart's unique to me because almost everybody I know that skis is also a mountain biker. And they just ski so they have something to do in the winter. And Bart is the exact opposite. Exact opposite. The guy, I, skiing is fun. But he's like Dexter Ritecki obsessed with skiing. And that's a dude off of the movie Astro like, Extreme. uh... He, he's a, so I decide I'm a, I'll ski with you uh, in this race. It's 10 hours of moguls. Um, so you have no knees. It's unbelievable. The lift line takes seven minutes to go up. And in order to get 60 laps, which is like the mark of like, I am a badass, you have to be down the hill in less than three minutes on average for 10 hours. It's crazy. So anyhow, I got a different guy taking my spot this year. Thank God. Um, <laughs> not doing, I did it the week after the Austin Rattler last year. And, uh, he says, well, what type of training should I do? And this guy's an amazing skier as well. I go, dude, you have to do so much low back work because it's going to take the punishment. And cycling's the same way. Yeah. It's not about being jacked, but having so much strength back there so that those muscles will give out eventually. Let's just make it happen later. Right. Much later. Yeah. And so that's all. I just didn't know what you were doing because I know what Harley's doing. Um, yeah. We're dealing with the wrists, so we're going to do some modifications this week um, and figure out some new stuff. But, um, and, and the only reason I ask is like, I'm the fitness proponent, right? Like I'm like, Hey, you know, like, yeah, we got to ride the bike, but what is all the other fitness? So I was just curious. Yeah, no, it's, it's one of those things where <clears throat> I have, I think it's 12 or 15 exercises. Um, I split them up into halves and I do them twice. And it's really just on the ground core workout that I can do anywhere. So if I travel for a gig, I'm still able to get into the gym and do the exact same workout time and time again. And it's, it's really all the things that I can't do on a bike. It's doing pushups. It's doing jumping jacks. It's doing sit-ups and V crunches and 
leg lifts and mountain climbers. It's all these things just to, to spark those muscles that I don't normally use, but otherwise everything is on the bike and I'm on, I'm on the bike right now. I think I'm, I get a day off every nine to 12 days. I think I get a day off the bike, but he's, he's working me harder and differently than he has in the past. So normally I get Mondays and Fridays off. It's, it's completely different. So if, He's, if, if one is like a piece of overcooked gnocchi and 10 is a rolling pin, where on that scale is your taint then? If you're that much time on the bike, like the connective area <laughs> on the scale of gnocchi to rolling pin, like what would you say your taint hardness is at right now? Actually, it's, you know, the funny thing, now that we've readjusted my saddle, it, everything's fine. I mean, really, that, so I had one type of saddle that fit my body really, really well from the past. And then we changed it, and I didn't, I wasn't on it right. And it, and it showed. Huh. So we just moved it, and now I've been on it a couple of three days, and it's uh, almost a week now. Infinitely better. It showed. Uh, no, so what's the number then? Like one to ten? Like where do you think you? Yeah, just, yeah, where are you at? Like where are you at? I mean, as far as solid whatever, two. Not, yeah, no, like in terms of like grizzled leather. Like I'm a fucking bike rider, bro. Like you know, we can knock on wood on this thing. You no, know, it's soft as a baby's ass. Don't kid yourself. Oh, you're supple. You have a supple tape. Oh, it's very Is it cocoa butter. Or what do you use? A lot, lot of massaging. A lot of lot of Who massages this is a that? Family show. This is not a family <laughs> show. It's not. It's not a family show. Damn it. And uh, good for you for getting that massaged. <laughs> uh, Nobody said paid for it. I mean, we've got one right down the way. Dude, fair. Hey, listen, I love it. You know, you and Robert Kraft. And- oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh, wow. So, well, that wraps up. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> It's just nice to know. You got to know your teammates. Listen, I will tell you this. There will be a time in August, um, not when I'm doing that service for you, Roger, but there will be a time in August when we will stop being four different individuals, maybe pursuing slightly different goals on this Breck Epic, but we're going to be just one, a a mass. We're going to be one single organism of effort. Yeah. And like the bond that I already gotten in a short amount of time with you, Roger, I I feel like, um, you know, I, I, I harken back to the the photo that we took at the oh, Silver that Rush photo Fifty. Was great! I need to find it because I'm going to make it the, the the tile for this episode. So we we have this photo, have them all. the Silver Rush Fifty. We're like, hey, everybody get together. This big picture. We had a pasta dinner night. Everyone takes a picture, and I don't see the photo for a couple of days, and it, it looks <laughs> as though Roger. At least he was pantomiming that he had with an imaginary lasso in his hand. <laughs> He had inserted all two inches of himself into me. That's what it looked like. And so our bond happened fast and furious. And, um, and I know that throughout this, this week long adventure for the Breck Epic, it'll be even, it'll be so tight that the four of us, Colin included, will be racing as one thing. Yeah. Um, and we'll need that because the dark moment that I felt on the bike during the true grit last on Saturday, uh, I only got through that because of my commitment to our community here. Yeah. And um, I, honestly, like, no, no BS. Two years ago, I don't know if I would have kept racing because I want to race. I don't want to 
finish the event. Right. You know, and I and I get so frustrated when I got done and like, you know, friends and like, man, you were out there and you did it. It's March, you did a hundred mile and like good for you, man. And, I, and like all of that shit might as well be a birthday card I get in the mail. I read it once and it goes right in the recycling bin. It's not in the shoebox. I yeah. don't save them for memories. Yeah. Okay, they get thrown away because, okay, great, wonderful, awesome. But that's not it for me. I explained to a buddy last week that these events are the only time that I feel wholly alive. I've said it so many times in this podcast. So if my point is to go out there and feel wholly alive, don't tell me just because I showed up, I get fucking ribbon. I don't want a ribbon. I want a race. Participation trophy. And I'm going to need you guys, much like we're going to need each other, when we're out there. Yeah. You know? Yeah, so how do you feel about this, you know, undertaking of doing this this ridiculous event? Like, what are your, what are your, what are the, like, right now, what are your emotions on it? Like, I'm so excited about it. And, and I look at it from a different challenge, too. I'm also at only 700 feet elevation. Yeah. So to be 50 years old going into a multi-thousand feet elevation race over six days, yeah, I'm all about it. Like, it's, it's exciting because it's something that I've never done and I don't know that I can't do it. So as far as I know, I'm going to knock it out of the park. Yeah, I had other goals at Leadville, which kind of bummed me out, but there were things that without having done it, I would never have encountered. It was a hard but, year, though. I mean, that was a, that Leadville was hard. <laughs> but it got done. Yeah. So to look back at it now, it's like, okay, now this, and it's exciting. It's it's a, it's a hell of a challenge, and it's going to be – it will be a test of metal, but I think it will be more a test of constitution and, and not just of finishing. Yeah. I don't want to just finish. Yeah, see, that's why we're tight. That's, I knew that. From, from the Silver Rush, get out of the gate. You don't want to finish. You want to race. I, I, but I've also held the contention that second place is first place loser. So I'm, I'm actually a very terrible loser on the inside. Like inside, I'm a nine-year-old Xbox controller throwing freaking nutbag. But outside, <laughs> yeah, I lost. I, inside, I am raging. Inside, oh, yeah. I am on fire. You got to let that ugly out. You know, just let them know. You know, let the ugly out. Throw the, throw the controller, Roger. Right now, I want you to find something in the back storage room that you don't care too much about. And I want you to throw it just to feel that visceral feeling of just getting it out and just chucking it. Because if you bottle it up, you end up burning ants with a magnifying glass. And if you're a 50-year-old burning ants with a magnifying glass, you are a freak. <laughs> <laughs> that got real weird real fast. Oh. <laughs> uh. Uh, so we got, that's what we got coming up. Yeah. Hey, we got a shout out real quick. We were going to start off the podcast. We with were these uh, sponsors. Yeah, um, we mentioned uh, in one of the episodes gone by that we uh, we had acquired a couple of sponsors, um, and now that's mostly worked out. Um, so, how how important is recovery when you're not on a bike? <laughs> <laughs> well, on a six day event. Yeah. See, that's the funny part about. Like if you have just those one big huge event you want to do and that's kind of it, then make your recovery as long as you want. Go yeah. eat freaking bonbons, right? Yeah. Like take the time. But when you're, I need to recover and I need to race the next day competitively, the recovery is more important than almost anything else that you're doing in the event. So in line with that, um, we are working with a company called Color Up Therapeutics uh, located uh, down in, in Denver and they make... Um, various CBD 
products. And if you're unaware, uneducated about what CBD products are, yes, it's extracted from marijuana, but it has no THC, so it doesn't have any of the psychoactive effects. You don't get high from it. Um, so, you know, I know a lot of people who, whether by just lifelong choice or, um, you know, whatever reasons don't take drugs, they don't drink, they don't do anything outside of like some caffeine. Um, CBD products are totally safe. And I got to tell you, man, between topical and sublingual, I mean, it's a, it's part of my every day. Yeah, I, I actually, in jumping in on that, I have been so reluctant to, to put a badge on it mm -hmm. because of, yeah, you're right. I mean, it is, it's where it's pulled from. There's so much negative connotation that's attached there's to just, CBD people just don't when know. you're uninformed. Yeah. But if you're informed, the question is not CBDs, I take a marijuana. The question is, do I want to take a bunch of Advil, Aleve, Tylenol, Ibuprofen, insert whatever you works for you? Or do I want to take something that is much more natural? My body doesn't have the propensity to fight against it or become used to it. Sure. Right? Something that works. And that's what I think is awesome about it. I, I don't use it as frequently. I don't use it on a daily basis. But I will tell you that my best nights of sleep, when they're most important to me, mm -hmm. come after I take a sublingual. Oh, man. I just started taking a sublingual. And it doesn't knock me out. No. Right? Like, it, it's not like, oh, I took a, a cap full of NyQuil and I don't know my name. It's like I can, I can take it and stay awake as long as I need to. But then when it is time to go to bed... It is the deepest, darkest, blackest, most restful sleep I've ever gotten in my life. So it's not like scissor. It's not diamond no, tap no. sleep. It's, no. Because when you wake up. Feel great. Yeah. So what I was told um, as I was educated on this product is that basically when you do a sublingual CBD, um, it's a clarity. And so it brings a clarity. Mm -hmm. um, some people use it in the mornings as well instead in lieu of yeah. coffee. You know, they... Um, the, the guys over at Color Up were like, you know, you could do eight drops yeah. in the morning and eight drops at night, yeah. and because it would be it amazing. Brings. So it it clarifies things. Mm -hmm. So if your goal is to go to how many of you, how many of like I now have to make my list of tomorrow's to dos before I lay in bed, otherwise I can't turn it down. And mm -hmm. the clarity that this stuff brings sublingual is awesome for sleep. Yep, yep. And then um, one thing I'm super jacked on is uh, the bath bombs. For the CBD bath button. No, come on, man. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I, don't, I don't hang out with a man who takes baths. I'm out. I'm out of here. <laughs> I, uh, I mostly meant uh, with regard to Breck Epic. A soak after a day in uh, some hot water with some, some CBD action. Uh, I think it's going to be where it's at. And okay. Justin wants to act like a hard ass. But when I was like, oh, you know, working on this thing, it might work out. I'm not sure. The first thing he asked me about was bath bombs. So no, sit the fuck down. Notice I leave the room <laughs> when, uh, when this grown man next to me talks about the baths he wants to take. But when he starts saying, but seriously, guys, no, it's just for the Breck Epic. Like when we're all together and we can take these baths. And then I came back in the room. So yeah. I know I'm messed up. Yeah, well, you, you be as comfortable <laughs> as you need to be. Um so super jacked on that. They also have a, uh, they have a really nice big space. And uh, last year, uh, we partnered up for, um, 
a clinic that was supposed to be a four-part clinic, but life was crazy and we did one. Uh, one of those was going to be uh, recovering as it pertains to endurance racing. And with this new partnership, they're like, yeah, bring as many meathead cyclists as you want over to this great space and we can have some fun and talk about CBD products. So, uh, so it's called Color Up Therapeutics. Color Up Therapeutics. They are, I don't know the exact address. They're on uh, South Broadway on the west side, uh, just south of Evans. Um, <laughs> um, I think their website's like coloruptherapeutics.com. Um, yeah, if, the, you, if you use the, the old Google Googler, yep. you'll find it. Yeah, quick. there it is, coloruptherapeutics.com. Uh, interestingly, you can order this stuff. They can ship. So um, there's no legal restrictions on it because it's not THC. It's not marijuana. So uh, you don't even have to drive over there. Um, so that's super cool. I'm, I'm excited about that. Yeah, and so I think if you are somebody who's looking for, uh, you, you know recovery, um, but maybe you want to see what's on the forefront of recovery, I think that these products, I think CBD in general is on the forefront of recovery, and it's much more mainstream, I think, than people understand. Yep. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I, we would live in such a bubble here um, when it comes to all things related to selling marijuana legally, right? So I just, I assume that it's a thing everywhere, but then you talk to people and you're like, well, not only can you not just buy weed in a store here, but what are you talking about CBD? Yeah, so. yeah. I have family in Florida that I mail directly to and stuff, so... <laughs> Not marijuana. It's like, uh, you sure you want to say that? No, 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 no. no. The, C, the CBD. I know. I know. Um, um, so we got them as a sponsor. Um, and this is uh, inter- incidentally not necessarily a sponsor for the podcast, more for the the bike team. But everything's so intermingled that it, it is what it's it is. Incestual. Yeah. Um, and then the other really fun one, and this is kind of the biggest opportunity, I think, um, or at least the the one that I was most impressed with. Uh, having the opportunity to put together um we're gonna be working with crank brothers um on um pedals wheels and seat posts um and the wheel thing you know not a lot of people know me uh personally but uh, for years that crank brothers wheels have been something that i would not ride um they they did one of the things that frustrates me the most about any product whether it's a bike product or whatever um no part of the the wheel was standalone it was a proprietary rim and a proprietary spoke and a proprietary hub um for those of us that don't understand what the word proprietary means means if it breaks somewhere that you don't have access to the proprietary spoke right if you if you're in the middle of nowhere at a, a race in st george utah and you blow up a spoke and that bike shop doesn't not only happen to be a dealer for that brand, um, but then also doesn't happen to have the exact length for the model you have, your weekend's over unless you want to buy a wheel. So that's always been a, and, and I've had that problem, not just with Crank Brothers, it's been an issue of mine with, uh, you know, Mavic, Roval. I mean, anybody who does proprietary things just makes me crazy. Um, Crank Brothers, Stepped away from that. They're using a pretty standard spoke and a nice hub that, while it's its own thing, it, it, you're not locked into weird parts that only Crank Brothers makes. And now they're making this really cool uh, rim system. Um, so often, 
rims are just the same size. Like, would you ever think for a second to have a different width or different construction on your front rim to your rear rim? Unless some engineer was like, hey, you should probably consider that. No, like on your, on the bike you rode this weekend, are the rims the same front and rear? Not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so before you raced on those rims this weekend. Yeah, they were the same size. They were size. the same, they're same yeah. size, same shape. Yeah, um, uh, shape's different now. Like you said, yeah, yeah. but yeah. You know, so, you know, the reality is, is that um, there are different forces acting on the wheels on the front of the bike and the, de and the back of the bike. And, uh, and Crank Brothers kind of took that apart and said, okay, how can we build a front-specific rim? How can we build this rim that is going to be optimized for the cornering forces and, um, you know, all the various things that are happening on the front end differently to what's happening on the back end of the bike? And so that... That's to me, cool. was a step in the right direction. Because um, as much as I like, you know, I, I've, I've been kind of a snob about riding Envy wheels for a lot of years. <laughs> and uh, they're amazing rims. Um, but at the end of the day, um, there's no differentiator. You just buy two Envy rims. And, yeah. and they'll ride great, but are they going to ride as good as they can? Yeah, that's cool. They're putting that tech into the specific, like how it's being used. Yeah. So, just to be in a great wheel. And then part of it is, you know, we'll have some, some dropper posts and some pedals from those guys as well. But I think the real star of that, that particular show is the, uh, the wheels. I did stop five times to adjust. I'm not going to name the brand of the seat post that was on the bike that I had this weekend. <laughs> but I will tell you this. Uh, I'm not going to – I had to move that thing like five different times. So you said seat post with Crank Brothers, and I just got super jacked because I'm just still just, a little – Just any seat post other yeah. than the one you used? Can I just have one that actually drops and goes up and down when I want it to, not on its own, not yeah, Phantom? Yeah, yeah, So, <laughs> So, yeah, those are uh, – at, at the moment, those are the, the two big opportunities that we got. Um, and, uh, you know, I think it, it'd probably be worth it at an, in another episode to maybe get, dig a little bit deeper into the CBD thing and kind of help people with that one. Yeah, let's do some education down the, right, down the line just so people feel comfortable. I mean, you know, the, like Harley had mentioned a few episodes ago, we have the luxury because we're not a big pro team that's being paid to do this to vet who we want to Yeah, Yeah, we just get to play behind. with the toys we want. Yeah, and so it, it was cool. You know, our, our kits our kits from Jack Rue just came in. Oh, um, so nice. Awesome. I, uh, that's, that's a – Roger found that one. Dude, Roger killed it. And Roger's design, dude, your design work is awesome he's fist pumping um and a like audio podcast um <laughs> you like them? but no they're awesome and when they came in and to see the brands on the back that you know you see these nascar like race kits from other teams and you don't have any connection to any of the brands and to know that like we have a connection to every brand on there from sram to color up to yep. um you know oh to all of them which that is was, really cool i made mention of talking about stuff I couldn't talk about, but now I can talk about it. Dude, you can talk about the the wireless SRAM drivetrain. Are you kidding me? What do you think about that, Raj? Where are you at on that? I think it's great technology. I think for those thumb those thumb shift users, I think it's fantastic, and I'm really excited about what they're doing with it. Uh, I don't think that they've made one for twist shifters, though. They haven't, but you you don't need to twist. I so I I didn't get a job <laughs> at a bike shop in 1987. So what uh pray tell is a twist uh twist shifter. It's what SRAM was founded on was was the original grip shift. 
Yeah, but like, um, but yeah, but things have changed. So yeah, yeah. Just so like, I'll, I'll I'll pose you with the question. So I rode Shimano until I met Roger, and yeah. uh, Roger was like, "Ah, oh, dude, you you try this SRAM stuff." I was like, "Yeah, that's silly SRAM stuff. I'm not gonna try this SRAM stuff." Anyway, I'm just gonna keep running my XTR. I'm fine. Yep. And Roger says to me, "Well, would you try it for free?" <laughs> See, he knows. And that, that, that's not you got to know people's strings. And if you talk to a poor kid from New Orleans, yeah, right, it like, says free. You want some free? Yes. Rocks. I didn't say what it was. <laughs> yeah, but you said free. Yeah, like, I'm in. <laughs> so. You know, I mean, I get you like your twist shifter. So, and for anybody that, that doesn't really know, because uh, they're not relevant anymore, <clears throat> um, <laughs> the twist shifter is a shifter that's built into your grip. Um, and I like to give Roger a hard time. I actually do prefer them, but I hate talking to people about why I have a twist shifter on my bike, so I just run a trigger. <laughs> and I don't mind talking about it. <laughs> I, I really hate it. <laughs> why are you running a twist shifter? Because I like it. Why are you an ass? Um, I can snatch all my gears in one twist. I do like that aspect, but I don't really care. But now uh, with electric, it's just going to be, it's instant. It's going to be, dude, it's yeah. going to be so cool. So, yeah, SRAM Stun just came out with uh, a new wireless drivetrain uh, called Access, and it's killer. I, I cannot wait. I mean, is it practical for a six-day, essentially, backcountry race? Probably not. Am I going to sell my truck to be able to buy one? Probably. Maybe. Yeah. We have a bunch of kits coming into the shop, and I just, I, I am beside myself with excitement. Um, I about... will tell you. So, if I may interject, please. You're asking what I think of it. There's a cool feature that's their back, the kind of bash feature. Oh, the, uh, the extra little motor that, like, auto if adjusts think... if you bend it. No, it, no, better yet, if it impacts the wrong way in a crash. It sets itself back up. Right, yeah, yeah it resets. Yeah. So cool. Dude, yeah. it resets. That's amazing. I, I got to say, those guys at SRAM, um, you know, I, I was, <laughs> just because of my loyal, I've, you know, I haven't been riding SRAM as long as Roger, but um, just because of, you know, the almost 20 years I've been using it, I'm, you know, terribly brand loyal. And I was like, man, I don't know if this new, uh, this new Shimano XTR is going to unseat the, the, the king. And... Uh, Two things happened. One, Shimano just tripped over themselves and couldn't sh ship any product. Um, so they're like a year late on XTR. Um, but then SRAM, even without that, said, yeah, that, that's great. How about some wireless stuff? And just rushed it. It's pretty. It looks great. It's going to go on. Uh, it's just like I can't. I cannot wait to ride it and check well, it out. And the application of being able to cross-platform all the product now. Yeah. Yeah, they like that, that's a game changer. Yeah, and and what Roger's talking about is, you know, they've got they've had for a while now um, a wireless road group, and it took them all this development time to get it durable and ready enough for the mountain bike stuff. Um, but with the popularity of gravel bikes, a lot of people are kind of mixing drivetrains. Like, you know, uh, of course you've got a drop bar on a, a gravel bike, so you've got you know, that kind of handlebar, that kind of shifter, and then sticking a, a mountain bike derailleur on it hasn't been the easiest thing. So now... No, I have that tan pan thing. That yeah, is a pain in the yeah. nuts. Um, and it's gotten better since that, but it's still kind of a, a nightmare. Um, but what SRAM said is they're, they're like, we're just going to make everything work with everything. So you can run, you know, 
whatever shifter and whatever derailleur on whatever cassette and crank, and we don't care. Um, and I think that's, and it's all the buttons are super programmable through an app on your phone. I'm just like, they're not giving me a penny for this. I'm just excited about it. <laughs> okay. So, and then when you take a look at how far they went, even with the road version of the access to actually redesign the chain to function better. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, every, every part of it, they didn't, you know, they redesigned the interface between the, the cassette, the gear set in the back and the hub so that they could change gear ratios and get weights lower, but keep the same, you know, top end speed, like every part of both the road and the mountain group set was just, I mean, they, to me, it's one of those things, it's a practical application of saying, what if we just started completely from scratch? Sometimes, you know, a company will do that and it ends up with a bunch of stuff that won't work with anything other than theirs. Um, so like you would have a, a hub set that couldn't, or you know, hub that could only take that kind of cassette. But what SRAM did was like, hey, we're going to just tear it all down, make sure it works with standard bikes, and let's see how crazy we can get. Oh, yeah. And it's, uh, it's stellar. I think they came out with an amazing product, and I, I'm super, super excited to, to try it out. Some, I, I don't know if it'll make it onto the, the Breck Epic bike. That's uh, It will. I, you know, I, you say that, but... I think an event like Breck Epic is about minimizing X factors and wireless technology, no matter how well thought out with batteries is, is two X factors that make me a little uneasy. So, um, I'll, I'll definitely put it on something to play with and we'll have it at the store, but I don't know that I'll, I'll commit to it for a, a six day adventure. Well, we'll see because I've seen uh, Harley with shiny things and they end up on his bike. So That's true, but well, who's to say it makes, doesn't make it on a different. Fair enough. Um, well, this is a long one, folks. Um, it was a ton of fun. Um, Roger. Thanks for hands over. Here. Thanks for, for, for playing and being patient while we got everything set up. Hey, thanks for having me. Anything you want to No, man. Keep here? riding, keep riding that bike. And, uh, I can't wait for all of us to get outside and start talking about the rides we're doing outside of the, outside of the, Oh yeah. We may see you at the end of March. Bentonville's on the docket. And with that, we're going to leave you with a cliffhanger because there are some trails out in Arkansas that oh everyone God. is talking about. And oh we God. just might have to load up the trucks. Yeah. Yeah. We may have to. Bentonville, Arkansas. Boom. Y'all. That's the episode of No Ride Around. Roger, thanks for being here. Harley, as always, we're out. Late. So get the fuck out. You're weak. You're done. So get the fuck out. You're weak. You're done. So get.